Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Very excited to have our guest with us today. He's a master storyteller, Mr. Donald Miller. Don, great to have you on with us today. Thanks for joining us. It's wonderful to be with you. Great stuff. Well, just so I can take a moment with the audience here, let them know who they've got a chance to hear from today. Donald is the CEO of Story Brand, and uh, every year he and his organization help thousands of businesses and leaders clarify their messages, especially in the area of branding. He's the author of one of my favorite all-time books, Blue Like Jazz. Oh, thanks. I have been promoting that book since the day I first read it. Awesome book. Uh, Scary Close, another great book. A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And then his number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, Building a Story Brand. This was on my list last year of best business books to read. And uh, now we get to meet the man himself. He's one of the best experts on the subject of story. And the more complicated and convoluted our world becomes, it seems that story still has the power to cut through all the nonsense. Don, we're delighted to have you today and delighted to... Shine a little light on the world of storytelling and branding for us today. Well, thanks. I think if you understand story, you understand a lot more about what's going on in life. So I'm glad there's a, if I may call you a fellow story nerd. No doubt. We can talk about it. Well, I'll give you a word. In Ireland, we call it a Shanachie. A Shanachie is in the Gaelic. And in every village in Ireland, there was a Shanachie. And a Shanachie is the fellow that would come into the pub and tell stories. And the whole village would sit around and listen to it. I want that job. Yeah, I mean, it's still part of the DNA. You know, the Irishman never lets the facts get in the way of a good story. And if someone <laughs> asks an Irishman, is that story true? He has two answers. He goes, it could have been, and that's how I remember it. <laughs> so, <fair enough. laughs> so how about this? I'd love to hear, and perhaps our audience would too, a little bit about the Donald Miller story, what your background, where you came from, and how you ended up where you are today. Well, it's a bit like Forrest Gump. I just sort of accidentally walk into things and, and have a delightful time doing it. But I, I started out uh, many years ago writing books, and the first book didn't sell very well. Where were you born? I was born in Texas, nice. in Houston. Come on. And then spent uh, 20 years in Texas and then 20 more years in Portland, Oregon. Wow. And then five years ago, I finally settled down with a beautiful woman named Betsy, and we, we're married now. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. As do half my friends. <laughs> well, you need to come move here yourself, Brian. There's a lot going on in the fertile soil of Nashville. Apparently. Apparently. So how did you get into this racket you're in? Well, I wrote books for a while. And in right. order to sort of keep people, as you know, to keep people interested in turning the page on those books, I discovered story. And that was about 20 years ago. Mm. A lot of people don't know that story is extremely formulaic. There are formulas that right. keep people interested in a movie or whatever. And I got fascinated by that. I mean, really geeked out on it. I started thinking of it almost like composing music, you know, mm -hmm. the notes of music and put them in certain order and people will pay attention. But I used that really just to write books. I wrote a screenplay that was nationally released. And uh -huh. then I wrote a book about kind of the overlap between understanding story and how to live a better life. You know, if you actually orchestrated your life like a story, maybe you'd have a more meaningful experience. Huh. That was great. And then I tinkered around in order to sell that book and grow that idea, tinkered around with using story as a marketing framework. Hmm. 
And that's really where I stumbled into something that I just absolutely fell in love with, helping other brands clarify their story. And there's two reasons I fell in love with it. Hmm. The first reason is because I really believe, Brian, I think you might agree that a lot of the wrong people have the microphone today. Mm -hmm. And they're using that microphone to create a lot of heat and tension and divisiveness on all sides of Mm -hmm. issues, not just one side of of the issue. And so I thought, man, if I could help some really good folks and good businesses clarify their message, maybe we'd be giving the microphone to some better folks. And so Mm -hmm. we've done that. We do about 3,000 companies a year. We take them through that process. They clarify their message and they grow. Then the second reason I was grateful to discover this marketing framework that we'll talk about is because I'd written seven memoirs. They were successful. And my publisher kept coming to me saying, can you write another memoir? And nothing had happened. I mean, I, I didn't have anything to write about. I went camping, and I can't stretch that into a book. So to, to pivot into the, the marketing business thing was really good for many reasons. Sure. I think if you write your eighth memoir, you're actually a clinical narcissist. So I yeah. kept it seven. Definitely a narcissist, yeah. not a clinical narcissist. Yeah, and so, that's so great. That's, uh, two good reasons. I mean, it's a heck of a pivot. I mean, if I hold up Blue Like Jazz and building a story brand, I get it as a content creator myself. I, I get how you can get there. But for the, I'd say the average person looking at that goes, how in the world yeah. do you go from that to that? I mean, that's a... My favorite comment ever is when somebody comes up to me and says, does anybody ever confuse you with the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz? Right. And I say, my wife does all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. My brother, Dermot, who's the CEO of the company, I mean, we love your stuff and have talked. We have some mutual friends, business associates in common. And we've talked, Dermot's always excited talking about your story branding content. And yeah. to be candid, he's like, we got to get Don and the firm in here and work with us and this and that. And I go, great. And I go, well, you know, I gave you that book of his years ago. And he goes, which book? I go, Blue Like Jazz. He goes, no, that's a different fella. And I go, Dermot. <laughs> and he was so convinced. I'm like, he had me unconvinced of my own position. Talk about the wrong <laughs> microphone. And I'm like, so no, no. You got it right. But I think it's fantastic. And I also think, I understand it myself. It's like, say, here's how you get introduced to a market, and then people associate that with you and so on and so forth. And right. what you did was systemize what you did and how you did it. Let's kind of dive in here for a second, because we have a couple of hundred thousand business owners tuning into us today. And, yeah, grateful. you know, it's a powerful dynamic. I'll kind of speak autobiographically to this, which I know we shouldn't in story, but I'll share this with the audience. I built the company from the ground up, and initially I would go out and do seminars, and I was the promotional wing of what became this coaching company. And I did it by telling my story. And it was, you know, came from Ireland, 92 bucks in the wallet, and and I would explain this whole thing. People could identify with it and so on and so forth. And that took us so far. But where we saw our exponential growth as an organization, it wasn't even intentional on our part. I got tired of telling my own story because I'm more inspired by what our clients were doing. So yeah. we started featuring what we call good life stories. We'd make videos. We'd send the camera crews to their home and follow them around and so on and so forth. When we started telling our clients' stories is where our business exploded. I mean, we went on a run of averaging 49% growth as an organization for 10 consecutive years. That is absolutely amazing. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees and hundreds of thousands of customers. But it was really this explosive growth. And people would come to me and they'd go, You'll be telling my story next year. You'll be telling my story next year. 
And it also was the greatest recruiting tool we ever had for bringing great staff to us. So I've seen this firsthand, and it was why I was so excited when you agreed to come on here, because I've seen this transform our business. I've seen it transform our organization. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about why story is so important and then connecting story with the brand, if you can make those two connect for us. I will, and I'd love to dissect why I think that worked for you, switching sure. from your story to your customer story. Now, I will say telling your story isn't actually a bad thing, mm-hmm. but what really people are looking for is to be invited into a story. So mm-hmm. One of the things we say is spend less time telling your story right. and instead invite customers into a story. Mm-hmm. And so when you actually tell a story of one of your clients whose business and life has been transformed by your coaching, what people who are not involved in your coaching see is a trailer for what their life could possibly be. Mm. And so they sign up for that, mm-hmm. and they say, I want that to happen to me too. That's a terrific way to invite customers into a story. And so one of the big paradigm shifts that we say is your story is not half as important as the story that you are inviting people into and the story that people live. You know, I just spent yesterday with a recording artist who you know, is putting out a new record and said, Don, I, I just want to get some help from you. How do I tell this story? And he said, here's how hard it was to record this. I had to fly out to L.A. And he just kept talking about his story. Uh And I said, listen, I mean, it is an incredible story how you created this record, but nobody really cares. (laughs) The only thing that – and he was kind of offended by that. Nobody wants to to go to a rock concert and have the lead singer come up and go, hey, we're going to start the show in just a second, but i got to tell you, it was really hard to get here. It's really expensive. The the crackers on the jet were stale. (laughs) The cheese wasn't moldy enough. That's right. And so what he needs to do is the same thing that everybody listening to your podcast needs to do. You need to find where our story and our customer's story overlap. Mm, yeah. And so we reduced his whole album to, hey, this is an album about taking risks. Raise your hand if you've taken a risk. Raise your hand if you asked a girl out and you knew you were going to get rejected, but you did it anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, this song is for you. Nice. And that's it. Just go into the song. You're trying to find that overlap. And that's really the power of what people are looking for. They're looking for somebody to guide Mm. and direct them into a story. And every business leader listening has the ability to guide people into the story that they're providing. If you are selling a product, you're solving a problem. Uh If you're selling a home, you're selling somebody a dream and an answer to the problem that they've got, whether it's a financial equity problem or whether it's a I'm not living in my dream house problem. And that's all the story is. Uh The story is a character that overcomes a problem in order to experience a resolution to that problem in a happier life. And when we understand that that's what people are looking for, we can frame our marketing and branding language to invite people into a story rather than tell our story. So this is somewhat counterintuitive. It's brilliant, obviously. And we know the greatest communicators in history. You know, they're still telling parables 2,000 years later that were stories not about the individual, about other people. Yet it's very counterintuitive, especially for small business people. They're trying to compete. They're trying to stand out from amongst the competition. And yet it's very easy to just spend your entire time talking about yourself. The real estate business and the lending and small businesses like that are notorious, right? Because it's, I'm number one. Right. You know, back in the 80s, it was pictures in front of the Rolls Royces and this, I sell 100 (laughs) homes. And, you know, and I, I had an experience. I was, you know, fresh off the boat from Ireland got into real estate, and I was hitting the ground hard, doing well. And I remember one time I, I had on my business card, I, you know, I sold 62 homes in 1990, whatever it was. And I remember a little old lady had stopped me in my tracks. 
and I'm on a listing appointment because I'm trying to let her know I'm competent. But the way I'm yeah. letting her know I'm competent, unfortunately, is bragging about how many homes I've sold and this and that and the other and whatever else. And she turns to me, she says, Brian, I really like you. I think you're a very sincere man. I'm just concerned that you're too busy for me. Ooh. And yeah. it was knife in the heart. And I was like, and she was right. Because how I was presenting myself, it wasn't egotism and it wasn't the need to be all that. It was I didn't know how else to do it. And now she's telling me, I don't really care if you've sold 62 or 5,000 or no homes. I just want to make sure you're available for me because that's what I need. And so this is a great difficulty. And in the world we live in today, you know, Muhammad Ali, originally when Cassius Clay came to the marketplace, you know, I'm the greatest and whatever. No one had ever seen that before. In, right. In the world we live in today, you know, I watched football this last weekend. The team's getting beaten by 30, and the kid makes a tackle, and he starts thumping his chest and waving his arms. And I'm like, you're, you're down by 30, dude. You know, so today everybody's thumping their chest. I'm all that in a bag of chips and so on and so forth. How do we break free of the culture's shift towards me, me, self, self, and the selfie generation that makes yourself the hero to yeah. making your customers the hero. How do you break through that? Well, the biggest thing to understand is that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That people are actually turned off by it, and they won't do business with you, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm looking for some. There's a, there's a big paradigm shift in the story brand framework, and it's this. Never play the hero. Always play the guide. Mm-hmm. Love, so we, Love there's, that. There, there are several characters in a story. There's the hero, the guide, the villain. And uh, there's the victim. Those, those are the four major characters in a story. What we say is, look, the temptation is to go out and present yourself as the hero in the story. You know, I sold 62 homes. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty awesome. But here's, there's two reasons you never want to position yourself as the hero in the story. The first is the hero is actually one of the weakest characters in the story. They're mm. usually the second weakest only to the victim. Mm. A hero is ill-equipped doesn't know if they can get the job done, is unwilling to take action, and in desperate need of help. <laughs> so if, if you want to position yourself that way, go ahead, but nobody's going to do business with you. Wow. So when Hillary Clinton says, I'm with her, as her tagline, we all say, oh, that's a story about you, but I don't know what role I'm going to play in that story. Mm. I don't know what climactic scene you're going to make happen in my life. Mm. So for some reason, I'm emotionally disengaged with that story. When Donald Trump says, Make America Great Again, people picture in their mind this kind of climactic scene uh, that will take place in the future where America is great again, and he is effectively inviting them into a story. And so you can see how the person who invited people into the story won, the person who played the hero lost. You could give the last six or seven presidential campaigns. It's like this. In each case, you can point to the different campaign, and one was definitive, and inviting, and the other one was exclusionary. I mean, you could That's almost right. teach a class at Harvard on it. You could. You know, we went and met with Jeb Bush just about six weeks before the South Carolina primary. He had $114 million in the Right to Rise Super PAC and $12 million in his general campaign fund. That's nearly $130 million, Jeez. and he was 3% in the polls. So even an enormous amount of money mm. couldn't buy him the attention he needed. His tagline was, Jeb can fix it. Well, if Jeb can fix it, who's the hero? Jeb. Jeb. Right. He's not inviting people into a story. Mm. He's saying, let me be the hero. You support me. And it didn't work. We went in, 
He removed Jeb Can Fix It and went from 3% to 10% in about six weeks. Still too late. He dropped out of the race. But just removing positioning yourself as a hero mm. caused a, an uptick. The second reason you don't want to play the hero, the first is the hero is weak. The second reason is you remove yourself from your customer's story. Mm. So if I'm at a party and I meet you, and let's say I need your coaching service, but I say, what do you do? And you say, well, I started a company 25 years ago. My grandfather started it. We've done this. We've done that. What my subconscious hears is that Brian is a hero in a story. Right. Now, I woke up as a hero in a story, too. So if I woke up as a hero in a story and I'm meeting another hero in a story, we are in separate stories. Mm. You have effectively removed yourself from my story, and I don't know where to put you in my story. Hmm. So what I do is I take that business card, that metaphorical business card, and I just put it in the junk drawer, and I think, that's a nice guy. I might want to meet him again someday. But I don't put it in the Rolodex of my brain. Mm so that I can call you to help me solve a problem. Hmm. So you really want to, rather than say, my grandfather started a company a long time ago, you say, you know, most real estate agents feel really alone and should be doing a lot better. We have a coaching service that helps real estate agents win hmm. and see bigger revenues and enjoy much, much better relationships with their clients. Well, you didn't tell me anything about yourself. Mm -hmm. What you did was invite me into a story, mm. but I feel like I know you, and I feel like I know your story. Mm -hmm. You know, if I met two chefs at a cocktail party, and I go up to the first chef and I say, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm an at-home chef. I come to your house and I cook. I think that's interesting, you know. I meet the second chef, and I say, what do you do? He says, you know how most families don't have time to get together and eat a meal with each other or even eat healthy? Well, I'm an at-home chef. Which guy's going to get more business? <laughs> the guy who positioned himself yeah. as the guide who will help you solve your problem. Mm -hmm. That guy's going to do not just more business, he's going to do all the business. Right. So we say don't position yourself as a hero. Those are the two reasons why. Position yourself as a guide. So if mm. you watch a movie, you'll see the hero struggle, struggle, and then a character shows up on screen. It's Gandalf. It's mm. uh, Mr. Miyagi in mm. Karate Kid. It's uh, Lionel in the King's Speech. Remember the drama? Oh, teacher? yeah, sure. It is Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda in the Luke Skywalker series. Right. For Katniss in the Hunger Games, it's Woody from Cheers, right? Right, which I was still you. hard getting my head around, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but that character exists in story because that character is longed for in the human subconscious. Right. We're looking for somebody who can help me win. Mm -hmm. And it's preferably somebody who's been there before, who struggled with what I struggle with, but who has already overcome that struggle and has the competence to help me win the day. Mm -hmm. And if I'm at a cocktail party and I position myself as the guide for this specific hero to help them win the day, they're going to call me and they're going to say, hey, we need to get together. And so that's the reason that it works so incredibly powerfully. Sure. And we're all looking for that, right? There's kind of a, a hole in the heart where everybody's looking yep. for that mentorship, that guy. There's so many books written you know, the Paulo Coelho's, the alchemist, you name it. I mean, yeah, you know, so many people now have done it, you know, where it's all of a sudden they meet the mysterious person who comes along and you're saying you can present yourself as that person to be that guy. It's super easy. Here's a more difficult question. The villain to me is the problem and the packaging of it. How do you utilize the villain in stories without focusing on your competition, for example? Well, the villain is not your competition as it relates to your customer. It may right. be your personal competition, but right. the story's not about you. It's about your customer. Sure. So what is the customer's villain? Customer's villain would be high interest rates, mm -hmm. an inability to find a home. Uh, you know, those are the problems, and, and you want to find something that's yeah. causing that. 
and you could make it your competition. You could say, listen, most real estate agents really only act in their best interest, not in your best interest. So if they're not going to get a good enough commission on what they know to be your dream home, they'll still try to sell you something else. Uh-huh. That's a villain. Uh-huh. And once you actually create that villain, you increase and agitate the problem that you're helping the customer uh-huh. actually solve. Uh-huh. And that makes them more dependent on you as the guide to help the hero win. Uh-huh. So the villain is in a category with the customer's problem. Usually you have an external, internal, and philosophical problem in a customer's life. The external problem is I need a home. The internal problem is I'm not sure if I can afford it. The philosophical problem is everybody deserves to live in a place that they love. Mm. So you want to look at those three problems and you want to say, what's causing those problems? Well, if there's a villain causing those problems, high interest rates or the inability to get a loan or you know whatever, then you want to actually focus on that and you want to help rescue the hero from the villain so that the problem doesn't take them down and give them a tragic ending. Mm. You know, we both know Dave Ramsey. Oh, yeah. The external problem Dave resolves is debt, credit card debt. The internal problem is I feel like my life is out of control. The philosophical problem is you were not supposed to be a slave to money, and the villain is credit card companies. Right. And the climactic scene where he helps you overcome the villain is the debt-free screen. Right. All of that can be plugged into the formula for making a screenplay. Dave has done it intuitively. And he's done it masterfully, and that's the reason he's got a $200 million company and 800 employees. Sure, absolutely. And it's over and over again. As we talk about that, give us some of your favorite examples of maybe organizations you've helped or organizations you've observed who went from the one side of storytelling to the other and saw the benefits of it. Well, Steve Jobs is one of the best examples. Steve Mm -hmm. Jobs, you know, co-founded Apple, grew it to a decent-sized company, did some miraculous things based on the just the severity of his tech knowledge. But when he released the computer Lisa back in the early 90s or late 80s, that computer had a number of problems with it. There's a reason it didn't do well in the marketplace. But one of the reasons, even though it was a pet project of his, and he was in control of the marketing, was he spelled out a nine-page ad in the New York Times with all the features and details and benefits of that computer. And it was such tech language, the only people interested were NASA and the image scanning community in the medical industry. That's not going to do it, right? So that computer failed. And it's a myth to say that Apple ever fired Steve Jobs. They never did. What they did was put him in a building by himself. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. He saw the writing on the wall, sold his stock. If you ever wonder why Steve Jobs died, not one of, if not the richest man in the world. That's the reason. He sold his stock when he left Apple. And he went and he started a company called Next, Mm -hmm. continuing to try to get that software system that everybody would need in their home. And then he bought a company called Pixar. Now, when you and I hear Pixar, we think movie studio, but that's not what Pixar was. Pixar was a hardware company owned by George Lucas. He was looking for powerful enough computers to do CGI graphics. Now, Steve Jobs had no interest in story whatsoever. He wanted that hardware. So he bought Pixar, and with that, he bought eight people, including a guy named John Lasseter. And John Lasseter was a story guy, and Listerine, the mouthwash commercial, the mouthwash company, came to him and said, can you make us a mouthwash commercial, an animated commercial, and save us some money on animation? John Lasseter said yes. He did it. It was a 30-second commercial. It made money. Steve Jobs runs into John Lasseter's office and said, that's the first thing I've done to make money in about 15 years. Can you please keep making mouthwash commercials? John Lasseter did. because The company was hemorrhaging money. Next was hemorrhaging money. Apple was hemorrhaging money. Pixar was hemorrhaging money. 
So they made several commercials. Then Disney came to them and said, these machines are robust now enough to create animation. Can you do this script called Toy Story? Mm -hmm. Well, that made hundreds of millions of dollars. And Steve Jobs found himself reluctantly and unknowingly and accidentally the CEO of the best storytelling organization since the days of Shakespeare. (laughs) And he learned so much about what we're talking about, Brian. Mm -hmm. He learned, don't play the hero in the story, play the guy. Keep everything incredibly simple. Define one ambition for the customer. Define one problem. Define one villain. Don't throw too much information at them. They can't follow it sequentially, and they will check out. He turned around and used the knowledge after years of making stories when he was brought back to Apple. Nine pages in the New York Times was boiled down to two words, think different. Mm. And here's the amazing thing. He stopped selling computers. Mm. He started selling the aspirational identity that will happen to you if you engage in the Apple story. That is, and this was the storyline, everybody sees you as a misfit. They see you and they misunderstand you. They don't listen to you. But Apple gives you a tool so that you can be seen and heard and finally understood as the secret genius you've always known that you are. And that made billions of dollars. I want to go buy an Apple computer, an outdated Apple computer right now. (laughs) Well, you know, what's amazing about that season of Steve Jobs coming back, this was the old 1984 ad where the lady throws the hammer at the screen. This was Albert Einstein and John Lennon and Yoko Ono on screen saying the crazy ones are the ones who try to change the world. They never featured any computers in any of those apps. Mm. They sold a story. Right. They invited people into a story. And the tool to become the person that you want to become was the Apple computer. Mm. And so what that means for us is we've got to say, look, this is not a story about buying a house or buying stocks or buying whatever. It's a story where people are trying to transform themselves into a better version of themselves. Uh-huh. And I need to sell them that aspirational identity. It needs to be true. We actually do have to transform people into better versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. But the tool to help them do that is going to be this house or this loan or or whatever. And that's the key is figure out what is my customer's story and how do I position my product as a tool they can use in that story. So the character that we want to play is the guide, Mm -hmm. right? And think about James Bond walking into a secret lair and he meets with Q, and he chooses what weapons he needs for the journey. That's you and me. Mm. So when our hero customers come in, they got to go attack something, take it down, and free themselves and their family from whatever burden, and they need weapons. Mm -hmm. And the tools that we provide, the products that we provide, are those weapons that will help them win the day. That's awesome. So if you were consulting me and I was a real estate broker in San Diego, you know, I know that we'd go through this whole process. How would you encourage me to, to promote myself or promote the business or to convert more customers using the concept of story? Well, the first thing is you want to identify something that your customer wants. Right. And so they want a dream home or they want a good deal on a home or something like that. And we've worked with, I don't know how many hundreds of real estate agents now. And it's amazing. Everybody can pursue it from a different angle. There's not one answer. But the key is to be super clear and leave everything else out. Okay. You know, if you go to a movie and Jason Bourne wants to know who he really is, but he also wants to marry the girl, and he also <laughs> wants to lose 30 pounds, and he wants to run a marathon, and he's thinking about adopting a cat, we have just made, we've made this thing way too complicated. Right. So what happens is, when you're sitting in a movie, if things aren't clear, 
you have to actually do work. You have to yeah. burn calories to try to follow the plot. Right, right. And at some point, the survival mechanism in your brain says, you're having to work too hard to understand this movie. Yeah. It's not going to help you survive. So we need to shut down and go into daydream mode in case barbarians come over the hill behind our house tonight. We're right. going to need the energy for that. Yeah. So when you're actually presenting 50 different things that your customer might want on your website, you're overburdening them. You're overworking right. their brains. So that's the key to not do that. The second thing is really just more basic marketing advice, stuff that you guys in your coaching program talk about all the time and guide people through. They need a lead generator. Uh -huh. They need to collect email addresses. And then they need to position themselves in the marketplace using specific language and sound bites repeated over and over and over. So your customer in their brain, their brain works like a Rolodex. Remember the old Rolodex, the uh -huh. Rolodex where you stick the business card in? The only thing is, alphabetically, it's not listed under your product or even your company name. It's listed under the problem that you solve. Right. And so, you know, we recently bought a commercial piece of property here in Nashville, Tennessee, and had a pretty bad experience with our real estate. Mm. Didn't show up for the signing. The lawyer that they put on the case threatened the bank that we were getting the oh. loan from, who happened to be really good friends, uh, on and on and on. And we will just never do that again. It hurts me. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's just terrible stuff. And, you know, not only that, I'm telling, I'm not going to give you his name. Yeah, right. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but... You know, we've told several people, hey, you probably shouldn't work with that guy. Right. You know, so it's working against them. So that the next commercial real estate agent comes to me and say, hey, Don, this can be a really complicated process, but we're with you in every important meeting and we're helping you make every important decision and we're going to be here till the He's speaking against a fear that I have mm -hmm. from anxiety from the past. And once he says that, it creates a bond of trust that I'm not going to have the same negative experience. Mm. So you really do want to survey your customers, understand them, ask them leading questions to say, have you ever bought a house before? What was the most frustrating thing in the whole process? Well, I had to sit down and sign 350 pages of contracts, and I had no idea mm -hmm. what I was signing, right. right? And you'd say, okay, well, that's one of the reasons that we put together what we call a deal points memo, and it summarizes everything that you're signing. So in just about 15 minutes, you can really understand contractually what you're obligated that shouldn't be a fear for you. You see what I'm saying? Sure, 100%. Yeah, you're overcoming these objections and inviting them into a story where they can live a climactic scene and overcome the villain. They get to be the hero, you get to be the guide. That's right. And hey, think about the guide. The guide is the strongest character in the story. The guide has been there, done that, already conquered their demons, and now just exists to help other people win. Yeah. And subconsciously, every one of us is not looking for another hero. We're looking for a guide. Mm -hmm. So if you position yourself as a guide at a cocktail party, a little flag goes up in my brain and says, that's the person I've been looking for. Sure. Yep. You have to beat him off of the stick, right? Like, I can imagine everybody now comes to you at every hand turn. Don, tell me with my brand, right? Talk to me about my well, story. I think it's kind of fun. That's like, you know, if you set a jigsaw puzzle down in front of my wife, you've lost her for two hours. Yeah. Same thing with me. If you come to me with a branding problem, I'm in. Yeah. Just solve it. It's a good life. It's a good life. Well, I will say this. I could listen to you all day. I love story. I think it's profound. I think you're, you're just the best guy in the marketplace right now talking and explaining this, bringing it to clarity. I love the book, uh, Building a Story Brand. I think, you know, for someone who owns a small business, this is kind of like 101. And I think the time that people normally read your book is after they've spent an awful lot of money and a lot of years in the wilderness. Yeah, and they've, we hate seeing that. Right, and so do it up front. Let's do this. I have a little formula myself 
for yeah. the end of every podcast, and I'd love to take a few minutes with you. I, like I say, I could spend all day with you here. And uh, it's a few rapid-fire questions that it actually builds out a little bit more of your story as we go, okay? All right, so these are, as the audience knows, you don't know what these are. We're going to hit you with these all at once. Rapid-fire, here's number one. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Ooh, staff your liabilities. Mm. I almost think it's more important to know what you're bad at than what you're good at. Mm-hmm. And to hire people who can help you with that. Well, thank God in my case, my liabilities are so <laughs> noticeable and extreme. That's <laughs> why I have staff all over the place. And, and if uh, you don't know your liabilities, <laughs> ask your spouse. Yep. They will tell you. They'll give you a list. <laughs> Great. Next, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? I wish I remembered every person's name mm. that I have ever met. Mm. I would love to have met somebody five years ago and say, it is so good to see you. And I love it when I'm able to do that, but I wish I could bat 100% on that. Well, I, it's funny because the guys accuse me of having a photographic memory. What I actually remember about people is I remember their stories. Ooh, that's a good thing to remember. That's amazing. I remember their stories. And when I meet somebody and they'll walk up to me, you don't remember me, do you? And they'll start me off, and then I'll get in. Once I remember their stories, I can usually pick up their name. Oh, that's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. So what book has been most instrumental in your life? Probably Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, powerful. Um, that was, that was absolutely life-changing for me. That's great. Okay, you're in the car. It's your jam. Gets you back to square one. What's playing in the car when you need a little juice? Probably Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. <laughs> Still, after, after 15 years. That, that album has not, uh, has not disappointed me. Awesome. And that's coming from Nashville, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, right there. Yep. Last but not least, you don't get the chance to watch much TV anymore, but you're scrolling through the channels, and there's a movie that's on that you've watched dozens and dozens of times, and every time it's on, you stop. What's the one you've watched over and over again? Well, sadly, it's not on TV very often because a lot of people don't know about it. But Michael Douglas did a movie called Wonder Boys hmm. about a Carnegie Mellon professor trying to finish a book. And his life is in disarray. And at the end of the story, his life is in order. And it's the journey of how he got there. I used to live across the street from Reed College. Now, the average IQ at Reed College is two points above genius. These wow. are smart kids. And about once a year, sometimes twice a year, I would go put up a giant screen on the lawn at Reed College, pull an extension cord out, and I would show that movie. I'd just sit there on a sleeping bag, and I'd watch that movie by myself. And by the end of it, I had 30 students sitting there watching it with me. Wow. Fantastic memories. I, I love that movie. That's great. And, uh, it's, it's worth looking up and trying to... Trying That's to, great. To I'm on it, and it's a great referral for all of us here today. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time, and it just flown by way too quick. I love how you articulate and communicate that which you're so passionate about. And I believe it's something we're all, all of us are interested and everybody's got a story. They do. And it's worth hunting for. Well, th this has been one of the more delightful interviews I've ever done. You've got some kind of great personality there. It's no wonder <laughs> you're a success. Thanks well, so much. Well, I appreciate it. And I never met an Irishman who didn't appreciate a good storyteller, you know? <laughs> so there you go. Thank you so much for being with us today. Again, get the book. If you want to go check out a story brand, go online there. And I highly recommend, certainly any of our clients are out there listening. You want Donald and his organization to take a look at your story brand. They're the best in the biz. So thanks again for joining us today. I'm going to throw it back to the wonderful Galway tones of our very own producer, Mr. David Lally. 
Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Mr. Miller. What a treat to have the legend himself on the show today. Speaking of stories, here's a great one from Logan Henry here in San Diego. Mr. Buffini, hope this note finds you well. I've been a member of your program for several years and listened to your podcast religiously. I've grown exponentially due to the podcast and your recommended reading, and I wanted to thank you. Well, thanks again, Logan, to you for your note. I'm sure you'll be reading Donald's book, Building a Story Brand, next. We have so many notes, I have one more I wanted to read today. Linda Kleist from Oakland Township in Michigan. Your guests never fail to inspire and encourage us to press on in our small business. We've turned our adult children onto the podcast, as well as anyone I talk to who's struggling in business or discouraged in life. You've made me cry and made me laugh, always inspiring the best. That's amazing to read, Linda. Thank you so much for your kind words. And as always, don't forget to share the show with others and leave us a review over at iTunes. It helps us know what content you like and gives us more visibility for others to find the show. And as always, here's Brian's mum, Therese, to sign us off. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Thank you.